0: Welcome to the Wish Well podcast, a women's integrative summit on health and wellness. A podcast hosted by Dr. Michelle Dang, a board certified anesthesiologist and pain management physician with additional fellowship training in integrative medicine. This podcast will feature weekly episodes with women from all walks of life discussing their health and wellness journeys.
1: everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Women's Integrative Summit on Health and Wellness, the Wish World Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Dang. And this week's episode is very interesting just because we have not had this topic on the podcast yet. And it is episode number 68, Air Health with Dr. Erica Maria Moseson. This week's topic, as I mentioned, we haven't had on the show yet. And it is interesting just because I'm dealing with some um, allergies and coughing and a lot of uh, pollen in the air right now where I live. And so I just thought it was, um, kind of funny that we were having this particular episode without further ado. I want to talk a little bit about this episode and Dr. Moseson and this week I chat with her and she is a lung and ICU doctor in Oregon. Her phrase for health and wellness is air health. She says, don't light things on fire and breathe them into your lungs. This applies to tobacco, diesel, forests, and more. She shares how, as a lung and ICU doctor, she realized how many patients she saw in the critical care setting due to people breathing in unhealthy air. She discussed how that is compounded by economic instability and racial inequities. We spent some time chatting about vaping, the tobacco industry, wildfires, diesel, and more. Her advice to others is to be an advocate for yourself and for your patients. She hosts her own podcast, Air Health, Our Health, so please head on over to her podcast and take a listen if you find this episode to be interesting. You can find out more about Dr. Moseson at airhealthourhealth.org, and again, her podcast is Air Health, Our Health. And you can uh, read a little bit more about her on our blog, wishwell.health.blog. And remember to listen along and subscribe and leave a rating and review if you are listening to iTunes. I do appreciate all of you listeners for tuning in every week for these episodes. I hope that you find these topics interesting. Definitely, definitely leave me a comment. Uh, send me a message on Instagram, wishwell.health, or on my personal Instagram, MD. If you are interested in hearing about different topics, then definitely shoot me a comment and let me know. Other than that, I will chat with you all next week. Take care. Hi everyone, this is Dr. Michelle Dang with the Women's Integrative Summit on Health and Wellness, the Wish well podcast. I'm delighted to have on this week's episode, Dr. Erica Moseson. She is a pulmonary and critical care medicine physician out in Oregon. We just discussed, had a long discussion on Oregon and, and mountain biking, which is super fun, but I personally don't mountain bike, totally an aside. But anyways, um, I'm, super, <laughs> I'm super excited to have her here to discuss her topic, which I'll definitely let her share her phrase for today's podcast episode. So, so welcome dr. Moseson. how are you doing I'm doing great thanks for having me awesome so tell us this is uh, this topic we've not had on the podcast before so I'm super interested to hear about about your experience with this so share with us what your topic or your phrase for today's episode is well my phrase that I
0: reiterate over and over is don't light things on fire and breathe them into your lungs <laughs> and um, one thing i you know try to emphasize to people is that this actually applies to a lot of things from tobacco to diesel exhaust to you know wildfires um and just really the pretty um severe health effects um on us as individuals on our families and our communities from uh, the burden of air pollution and tobacco and um and you know increasingly out west where i live wildfire smoke
1: mm-hmm. So how, you know, I think it's very interesting, obviously you're a pulmonary and ICU doctor. So you deal with a lot of lung issues um, and you've made this into sort of, I mean, it is your, your passion. You have a podcast now. Um, tell us a little bit about your podcast and then tell us about your journey into, into this field of medicine and what you do, what you're doing now. Yeah. Well, I,
0: um, I think I became an ICU doctor um, because like so many people in internal medicine training, and I imagine actually probably ana- anesthesia as well. Uh, the ICU was awesome. I mean, it was all the cool stuff that I'd seen, you know, on TV back when you're thinking about being a doctor where you were saving people's lives and putting people on life support and using all these cool machines and doing all these cool procedures. And I loved it. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just rescuing people from who came in, you know, you know, honestly dead or nearly dead and we'd bring them back to life. And, and it was, it was wonderful and exciting and amazing. And, um, a lot of the times when people do ICU medicine, they also do a pulmonary fellowship. And I went into that and, um, found that really fascinating and how interesting it was that pulmonary intersected with all these different fields of medicine. Cause a lot of, you know, the lungs are just kind of this giant filter of the outside world and filter of our whole body's blood system. And so, you know, a lot of diseases kind of ended up in the lungs. So it was really, you know, interdisciplinary and I ended up working with a lot of different people and I loved that. Um, But then as you start to practice longer, I just started to realize over and over again, you know, how many people we weren't getting through it or how many people, um, were having their lives devastated or how many people, even if we saved them after coming into the ICU, their lives were worse, right. They were going out to a nursing home instead of home. They, you know, maybe their, their lung disease was now worse or their heart disease was now worse. So, um, I'm just kind of starting to think about, you know, so many people are here from essentially breathing bad air, you know, like they're here from tobacco, you know, like half of regular smokers die of tobacco. Right. And it's not a, clean death. It's not like people usually just drop dead, right? It's usually like lung cancer, heart attacks, strokes, aortic dissections, COPD, you know, just a whole host of things. Um, So many people with asthma who had bad, severe asthma, especially um, in the North Portland hospital I work, which is in some fairly polluted air, um, you know, these generations of kids growing up in bad air pollution who have, you know, worse asthma, um, who have, you know, more severe asthma exacerbations. Um, and you just think about the toll um, on their health, but also their families, their their family economy, right? So um, a lot of times people with asthma end up you know earning less money over the course of their life. they the kids don't often do as well as school in school because they're sick missing school days or you know having trouble breathing or and then parents have to stay home with them. And then you just think about these inhaler regimens, which can be like you know ten thousand dollars a year at times, and you know, all the doctor visits and everything, which is just kind of this drag on the family economy, and then also on, you know, employers, on all of us, right, with healthcare expenditures, um, you know, just kind of from this chronic toll of, of fuel, you know, of burning fuel, right, mm-hmm. of just traffic-related air pollution, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, just, I started thinking, you know, we have to work way more upstream <laughs> on all mm-hmm. this, because by the time you're meeting me, you know, in the lung clinic, you know, or in the ICU, you know it's kind of on the later end of things so that's where i started air health our health to kind of focus more upstream and then the other part i really talk about is our wealth because i um you know the the amount of you know money that people lose both as individuals from either a tobacco habit or from living in an area with high air pollution um and the cost to themselves their employers their families from that Um, is devastating. And then the amount that we're all spending as individual taxpayers or payers of insurance premiums to support the healthcare costs of just breathing bad air um, Mm -hmm. is unsustainable and we got
1: to do better. Mm -hmm. So, you know, nowadays, I think probably within the last five or 10 years, vaping has become so prominent in the news and in in advertising. Mm -hmm. And so what, what have you done in terms of education about vaping? Because I mean, I think like a lot of kids now kind of ask about it or know about it.
0: Yeah, it's awful. There's this one county in Oregon where I think it had gotten down um, to 7% of teen of 7% use of combustible cigarettes, which I think has been like the lowest it's ever been. Um, but in that same year, um, vaping in like middle school and high school kids had reached like 29%, mm-hmm. um, which is awful. Um, mm-hmm. So the tobacco companies um, has a very clear strategy that it's used for, you know, generations now and their model is to addict to young brains. Um, and the way they do that is flavors. Um, and so, so, um, they also prey on you know communities of color, and so you know historically, you know we all—I re- don't know if anyone remembers—but you know they used candy cigarettes, they used flavored cigarettes. They um, targeted the African American community very heavily with um, uh, mentholated cigarettes, so like Newport's, Cools, and um, and did a lot of work there. And it was you know decades of public health advocacy and research and fighting against tobacco companies to eliminate the flavors um, as much as we could. Um, and now they're just doing it all over again uh, with vapes. Um, with, uh, And then there's also doing a lot of, you know, kind of misleading science about, uh, well, maybe it's helping people quit or maybe it's better, yes. you know, and a lot of times people argue, well, it's got to be better, right? So combustible cigarettes are so bad, like this has to be better. Maybe it's harm reduction. So they'll kind of adopt that kind of language. Um, and it's really hard because I remember the first time I ever saw one of these things was in... I think 2008 or 2009, one of my primary care patients, when I was an intern, kind of brought one in and said, you know, what do you think? And I was like, I have no idea. I don't even know what exactly. You know, but you were hopeful. I mean, I think a lot of people were just really hopeful because again, combustible cigarettes kill half of their regular users. So, I mean, it's hard to be worse than that. Like think about another product that's on the shelves that like kills half the people who Mm -hmm. use it regularly. Like usually, I mean, we recall like baby car seats of one you know, kid gets their finger pinched in at one time, you know, it's just, it's kind of wild what's, what's out there. But, you know, so I'll tell my patients, I'm like, look, if you go see your doctor for a headache and you're like, oh, well, you know, this, you know, this has to be better. I'm like, well, maybe better to get hit in the head with a two by four than a four by four, but it's not good for you. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like, mm-hmm. So it's hard. I mean, I think it's really hard. So I think the E Valley stuff was really scary. You know, when we were seeing this fulminant lung disease mm-hmm. that was caused by vaping. Um, I think it's, it's, it's underrepresented though. I think I have a feeling that that is a lot more prevalent than we understand. And um, because one of the ways they define whether something's a vaping acute lung injury versus, you know, acute lung injury from pneumonia or a virus or something like that mm-hmm. is if, if there, you can't find anything else. And one thing that we know, so this is especially important right now with COVID, is that the acute respiratory distress syndrome, what we call ARDS, which is like the fulminant manifestation that can happen with COVID where your lungs just white out and you get so inflamed that you can't get oxygen in anymore. um, That syndrome happens more severely and more often in people who smoke cigarettes um and so um for and it happened no matter how you get it right so if you have pancreatitis and your lungs get sick from that if you have pneumonia and your lungs get sick from that or if you have um uh, if you got like a blood transfusion you know something like that like so people who smoke cigarettes are just more likely to get the acute respiratory distress syndrome ARDS and I have a feeling it's fairly similar with vaping because a lot of the basic science that we see so far is kind of reminiscent of tobacco like the way it changes the the cells lining the upper airways, you know, the way your breathing tubes constrict more around it, um, and then because we also can get that fulminant e-valley, the you know, electronic cigarette and vaping associated lung injury, um, I have a feeling that that's probably you know it's going to take more time to do that research, but I have a feeling we'll see a very similar pattern. Um, so I think kind of restricting it to, it's just this and nothing else. I have a feeling it's like, if you probably vape and get a virus in your lungs, you're probably going to be, have a more severe course, Mm -hmm. um, on average, um, than somebody else. So I think, um, you know, I'm, I'm increasingly worried about vaping. Um, I, um, the interesting thing with vaping is you can, you can die suddenly from it too. Like tobacco, mostly you die, you know, kind of a decade or so after you start the habit, not that you can't die, you know, have a, a severe you know, acute issue, kind of like with ARDS, if you have, if you get, you know, COVID, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, E-Valley was a pretty dramatic form, you know, we had patients on ECMO, you know, heart and your like lung bypass basically in the ICU because of the vaping. Um, but I, I'm, we don't know yet what the, you know, decades of vaping due to you yet we don't really know is it better or worse than cigarettes but it kind of seems academic like let's just not find out Mm -hmm. (laughs) in my opinion let's
1: just nip this in the bud if we can but we'll see what is the mechanism behind such the behind the acute issues associated with vaping So
0: I think we're not quite sure yet. So there's a couple different, there's a, so I had one person on the podcast, if people are interested, there's one with, I call it the gambling with your lungs or (laughs) vaping roulette episode with uh, Dr. Jeffrey Gotts from UCSF, who did a lot of, who worked in the um, math lab at UCSF doing some of this research. Um, And kind of, they kind of summarized a lot of the different studies. Um, And so what you can see is you can see direct um, damage effects to kind of the cells that line Mm -hmm. the um, lungs. And then there are, Um, cases, there's a series in the New England Journal where they went and did the, they did pathology on several of the patients who died of E-Valley. And there's a kind of a range of different pathologies you can see. Um, One thing that one of my partners had described was um, a lipoid pneumonia kind of thing, where you actually had, you know, the, the cells in the lungs had kind of filled up with little fat globules because they use the term vaping, but it's not really water vapor, right? It's it's mm-hmm. oil vapor, right? Mm-hmm. So you're inhaling hot oil into your lungs, yeah. Which you know when you think about it probably not good for you um sounds pretty toxic (laughs) i know exactly and so there's this thing that you can get called lipoid pneumonia which used to be something that we'd see from you know kind of old people who are drinking you know like cod liver oil or whatever for you know whatever reasons and you know just kind of go down the wrong windpipe and end up in their lungs you can kind of get this like inflammatory reaction around it Mm -hmm. except now you're inhaling this as little tiny particles and it's you know going in all over your lungs in a kind of more diffuse pattern which can kind of set up inflammation and injury um and uh yeah, it's not good for you. Doesn't sound good.
1: And tell us a little bit. I'm not familiar with e-Valley. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about what that is? Yeah, so that's basically, um, you know, an, an
0: ARD, an acute respiratory distress syndrome, specifically caused from electronic cigarette vaping. It's called electronic cigarette and vaping acute lung injury. Um, I think I'm getting that acronym mm-hmm. right. And that was um in the so in from, um, kind of in the year before COVID, there was this kind of outbreak. Um. Um, that the cdc was having us track um, and i think it was more that people were paying attention to it because i think a lot of these patients would have fallen under the you know kind of people were probably thinking ham and Risha, like these kind of acute fulminant idiopathic pneumonias that can happen that are either autoimmune or, or whatever i have a feeling a lot of them were probably vaping related because we weren't very good about asking about it we're mm-hmm. very yeah. bad in the icu about actually categorizing vape use and cigarette use although this kind of case finding episodes from the CDC, I think changed that a bit for a lot of us, um, where people would just kind of came in and had just fulminant respiratory failure. And that the only risk factor found was actually, um, you know, vaping or e-cigarette use. Um, the, there was, um, some link, they think, I think with vitamin, um, the, the vitamin E acetate, um, potentially, which was kind of being used to cut, uh, to kind of, you know, suspend some of the kind of, chemicals that were being used in vaping. But even before that, one of my partners had, you know described and written up in chest, you know many, many years before a case of, you know, lipoid pneumonia from e-cigarette use. So um, I think it's something that we're, we're kind of learning more about Um, the hard part is just as people were starting to ramp up and be better about reporting it, COVID happened. So I think it probably all screeched to a halt while we all started dealing with COVID. So it's, it's still something that's kind of being more described Mm -hmm. again, one of the objections that I went to one of the sessions on it at European respiratory society, um, Two falls ago, I guess, um, and one of the big objections a lot of people had was this idea that to be a CDC case definition, it had people had to have this fulminant lung failure because you have these young patients. I mean, we had you know, patient in Oregon, you know, people who just kind of you know, vaped some marijuana, you know, and died. You know, had like died in the mm-hmm. ICU which fulminant lung failure. Um, one of the hard parts is that they were to be a case, you couldn't have anything else going on. So you could come in and die of fulminant lung failure as someone who vaped, but if they found like rhinovirus you know, or some like, you know, cold virus in your BAL fluid, you know, then, then, oh no, they're just dying of, you know, fulminant rhinovirus. And you're like, well, not really. Like how many people do you think, like, if you don't have a bone marrow transplant, that's just very unlikely that that's really what you're dying from. If you, you know, happen to vape, it's probably this combination injury or something that sets something off. And so I think that's, um, it'll be interesting to see how that goes forward. Again, I've also just kind of reached the point of, I'm like, yeah, it's maybe interesting to study, or we could just help everyone quit and not have to yeah. study an entirely new disease and just.
1: I mean, I think you're right, right, but right when I was hearing a lot about the vaping issues, Mm -hmm. COVID happened and so kind of stopped hearing about it, but every now and now and again, and I don't listen to the radio that often, but when I do, I still hear all those commercials about vaping and, um, you know how it's so great. And it just seems, it blows my mind that despite all the, all the issues that have come up that we've heard about in terms of vaping, we're still hearing all those advertisements for it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, here in Oregon, you know, we have, um, legalized marijuana and, you know, again, I'm not someone who advocates for, you know, criminalizing, you know, behaviors and everything. You know, I think that obviously comes with its whole host of problems, but those have these giant billboards and like, you know, images that I'm, you know, I'm like, you know, you would never allow that as like a tobacco image, right? Like, you know, it's just so interesting. But we once did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We once did, but you know, it's just, um, interesting you know now just kind of seeing these images and one of the other things that tobacco companies and you know vaping companies and all these you know um you know groups are doing is really push using social media and social media influencers Mm -hmm. there was this fascinating study um where they looked at um you know instagram accounts and you had you have these um, companies that are paying instagram accounts and countries that for example where there's not even you know i think blue was one of them right it's not even for sale in that country like the device you cannot even buy it in whichever eastern european country <laughs> they were paying mm-hmm. people in those those countries though to take pictures um with their you know vapes or whatever and then pushing them into the american market or the european market where people actually could buy it purchase them you know and it, you know with like vape life or blue life or you know whatever you know you know gorgeous people and all these different pictures and then there was this one series that was amazing because it was shot for shot pre- old tobacco ads that are now illegal like that mm-hmm. you could not actually put out um but like shot for shot is just using an electronic device and um yeah. I mean, again, it's just, it's the same industry. It's just rinse and repeat.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was going to mention, um, you know, we talked about earlier how the tobacco campaigns used to be like that as well before they can't do it anymore. And that's particularly how they got women to mm-hmm. smoke so much, you know, they would have a picture of this gorgeous, sexy woman mm-hmm. smoking. <laughs>
0: yep. So. And now it's, you know, some, you know, beautiful, Woman out in like some natural setting, you know, like you know hiking and, and her full like wellness thing, but like with her like, you know, cigarette or <laughs> or you know whatever. And like I'm always telling my patients, like I'm not gonna get into a fight with you if you want to go like eat a tobacco salad or like yeah, you know, have a marijuana gummy. You know, like there's probably issues that can be you know debated and discussed about you know those things. And I know they're complicated and, you know, especially I'm sure in the pain community, like, you know, the role of marijuana is, you know, is, is something that people are trying to, you know, discover and, and everything I'm just saying, don't heat it up and inhale it.
1: (laughs) Yes. And I want to transition really quick because I definitely want you to be able to talk a little bit about your experience as a pulmonary and ICU doctor with your campaign of air health, um, how COVID-19 has affected everything for you.
0: Yeah. I mean, I actually launched all this during COVID when COVID-19 was happening. So I'd actually bought the Air Health, our health domain like several years before, um, kind of always kind of noodling to get this started. And it was actually COVID-19 that made me finally start it because I was, I mean, there's already a pulmonary critical care shortage in the United States. And I was just thinking, oh my God, we're all going to become ICU doctors for the next several years and have no time for a pulmonary clinic or anything. And there's so many patients out there where like half of what I'm doing is helping my patients with asthma kind of identify what sets them off and, and how they can, um, you know, avoid it. And so I kind of launched this and started it. In fact, all my podcast episodes came out after COVID. I mean, because I was worried that there are already so few, you know, resources and voices about the importance about the air we breathe, um, that I wanted that to be out there, even if I was stuck in the ICU intubating people. Yeah. Um, And I think what COVID has done is it's just a, it's like a magnifying glass. It's like fuel on the fire for all these issues um, that are kind of there all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. So we just passed, you know, we have around 500,000 people now who've died this year from um, COVID-19, which is, you know, heartbreaking and awful. And I've cared for my fair share of them in the ICU. But the other thing I also think about is every year, 480,000 people die of tobacco, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I don't want the, you know, like I want. I don't want those 500,000 people to be gone, but I also don't want those 480,000 people every year to be gone either. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing with COVID-19 is all these things with fire, with particulate matter. So when you light something on fire, you generate particulate matter. And one of the ones that's the most deadly is something called PM 2.5 because it's a super tiny particle that we don't really see, but it can go all the way deep, deep, deep into our lungs and circulate around our body, causing all this inflammation, tissue damage and and, and death. And so, um, and that is, you know, um, so we, we see that areas of higher air pollution, higher air levels of PM 2.5 are correlated with increased death from COVID-19. Hmm. Um, And that's been seen kind of with other viruses and and that sort of thing before. But for example, you know, like why certain cities, you know, in in Europe went down really hard, where you had other cities would have the similar population density that potentially weren't as affected. And they found that, you know, in China and in Europe, that all correlated with PM2.5. And then also in the United States, we had a similar pattern. There was a big study out of Harvard that looked at that. And it's, they think around 17% of the deaths from COVID 19 in the United States are attributable to our air pollution to having elevated PM 2.5 levels. Um, Mm. And you think about the people who breathe higher levels of PM 2.5 are generally poor communities, communities of color, um, people who are already disadvantaged in terms of abilities to access healthcare, get a, have a primary care doctor mm-hmm. and everything, and or who can't get paid sick days. I mean, it's part of the reason we have this like compounding death toll in our black community, in our Hispanic community. Um, and it's it really just magnifies the inequities already and in who breathes bad air,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Who breathes polluted air in our country. Um, and, and that's part of the reason that we had a higher death toll from COVID-19. And then a similar thing with tobacco, right? So, um, you know, wealthy white communities have often quit smoking combustible cigarettes and most tobacco advertising now is, you know, like there's studies like black children see more tobacco ads than white kids, even though, you know, the community has been fairly resilient trying to fight tobacco in their own communities. It's still something that we know advertising works. And, and we know um, there was a meta-analysis that was done looking at you know COVID-19 and people using tobacco products. And again, like with other forms of ERDS, it appears that it's kind of a more rapid progressive course um, for people and you know inhaling a particulate matter and, and smoke and everything. And then one of the things I worried about on the West Coast is um, you know, we had these horrific fires at the end of mm-hmm. September where the entire coast was on fire. And then, you know, around a month like you know, when you think about viral doubling times and stuff, and people were kind of like having to move into smoke shelters and you know, kind of break quarantine to get into like, you know, go to flee their homes and move in with family and everything. And then also being in the super high levels of PM
1: 2.5. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, like for a while, my, the, for a long time, actually, where I was living with my, you know, children was beyond the hazard index. Like the air, there's a hazard index. If you go to airnow.gov, they kind of rate your local air quality. Um, and are we were beyond the index, the PM 2.5, like the, you know, they are just like, we don't know, this is so unsafe. We can't even give you an index for it um you know and that's where i'm living with my kids right and fortunately i can afford a very nice air filtration system for my home but it's you know i'm i've got a lot of privilege and and there's a lot of people who can't have that and um and then we also saw covid surging you know we had our you know highest numbers in the months following and again part of that i'm sure was you know halloween thanksgiving christmas back to back you know mm-hmm. holiday stuff but i, I worry that there was a lingering effect from the fires because one thing we they saw they did a study in Montana um, after they had heard kind of a community that was really suffering from wildfire smoke for a while. And then they went back, um, for then the following year and found that this really, we know that the PM 2.5 can change the immune system of the lungs. And they went back and found that in the following flu season areas, like where the flu hit hardest were also correlated with the higher levels of PM 2.5. So it's, it's one of those things where it's, you can't see it. Like it's, it's, it's not something that the eye can see. Um, mm-hmm but it certainly affects our health dramatically. I mean, everyone can see like the big carbon elements in the smoke or like the big smoke fumes, but a lot of that stuff kind of, um, you know, is more of a marker that there's these other tiny particles present. And sometimes those tiny particles exist for, like from traffic where we don't see them but they're affecting every- our health.
1: So I think the question that um, probably many of us are wondering at this point is, you talk a lot about, you know, the, the air pollution and um, the PM PM2. I don't know. <laughs> what is it
0: called again? PM2.5 PM2.5. So yeah. It's the size of the particle. So it's 2.5
1: okay. microns ding, 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 tiny. <laughs> so what can we do just as individuals to, I mean, obviously we can't, we can't move to an area that has a lower amounts of that. Mm-hmm. What can we do as individuals to, to help with that? So, um, a few things, I think kind of
0: being aware. So, um, you know, so one of the first things you could do is just kind of go to airnow.gov and kind of start finding out like, you know, what is, what is kind of, what is the air quality around me? And, and, you know, what, what, what's probably healthier, you know, any, you know, um, to kind of get a sense. Cause the biggest determinant of indoor air quality is outdoor air quality. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, and then the other thing is, you know, you kind of learning about your own homes, you know, air filtration system, like, you know, do you have one and what's your plan for if things are, you know, get, bad or if there's fires you know climate change is happening unfortunately it's here to stay for the next several you know decades and generations probably um so kind of you know I know Texas has gone through this horrific ice storms and everything now and I'm hoping you guys don't get fires <laughs> but but think, think I wouldn't be there. surprised <laughs> yeah well I mean Texas ha- does have a pretty big um you know diesel b- burden um but there mm-hmm. are also a lot of Texas programs trying to like help decrease the diesel burden. So, Mm -hmm. you know, even kind of advocating at your local and community levels for, you know, paying, you know, things to mitigate traffic-related air pollution, things you can do if you've got the resources. So the hard part about like air quality is you got to kind of have the money, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so a lot of, you know, so for example, you can not smoke, like that's one through 10, don't smoke. Mm -hmm. If anyone in your house smokes, get them to quit, you know, all those sorts of things. So Mm -hmm. do that. Um, The other thing is um, for, in terms of, kind of your commute. So if you can, um, you know, sitting in traffic is one of the biggest sources for, for people, right? So if you're sitting in a big busy road, so um, you know, they did this study in London where they put particulate monitors on a, different people taking different commutes, right? So someone driving someone riding a bus and then like biking a higher or, or walking like high and low traffic roads. And it really does matter because a lot of these particles actually kind of fall off.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: if you have the option to, you know, kind of like bike or walk on a lower traffic road um even biking a higher traffic road actually overall the exposure might have been a bit lower in terms of the pm 2.5 because you're you don't get the auto pollution too like Mm -hmm. you're not like kind of having the stuff coming in your engine and then kind of circulating around your car i think the ventilation was a little better um if you're really stuck in traffic turning the auto circ um like making sure that you you're not sucking in the air from the outside I mean it's not like these I mean these cars it's not like they've got like you know super you know it's not like a, it's like a space shuttle or something but like mm-hmm. if you're not like actually sucking air in from the outside you want to just have like your are that off um, unless you're you know out of traffic and everything's a good idea and then the other thing is there is what we call you know there's auto pollution in the sense of like pollution from the vehicle to yourself so you know they again like the UK has a huge traffic air pollution problem so they've done a lot of these studies out of there but you know they found that someone who's driving a hybrid vehicle is exposed to way less per- particulate than someone driving like a diesel um and a similar thing like um I think with like electric vehicle, obviously there's no combustion, right so mm. you're not getting any of this stuff because you are really, if you think about it, you're sitting right over an engine uh-huh. and I think a lot of people think, oh well, the exhaust goes out the back, so I'm not getting anything and that's actually not really true. <laughs> yeah. so those are things so like if you can choose like if you've got the resources to like buy an electric car or a hybrid and you know, kind of make those kind of choices. I don't know what your Texas audience is. I'm just like. I'm I have laughing a stereotype of Texas. No, <laughs> so I mean maybe, Texas maybe is not. about our
1: big trucks, big cars, but it's funny because we have a Tesla and I'm terrified of driving it. And I'm just giggling just because my husband has been wanting me to to drive it and and it's just it's it's very different than a regular never, car. I've, heard, I've never driven a Tesla,
0: but I've heard there's zippy. We have a um we have a plug-in hybrid electric car. So mm-hmm. it goes electric for 50 miles and then, mm-hmm. and but it can run on gas because I was just, you know, whatever, if you had to. And I have to say, it's so much more fun when it's electric. It's like very zippy and fun. And I can always tell when it switches over to the hybrid mode and is running on gas, it's way less fun. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, um, Erica, I really do appreciate all of the advice that you've given us on how to reduce our air pollution and uh, definitely is something very interesting to hear about. And um, hopefully we all as a community and as a country and as a world can reduce um, all that air pollution and um, increase our lives. (laughs) Um, But um, I want to make sure that you have the opportunity to share any last bit of advice you can offer to others and as well as how people can reach you and find your podcast.
0: Absolutely. Well, my advice is always don't light things on fire and breathe them into your lungs, whether it is tobacco, diesel, or forests. <laughs> and um, you can uh, follow me on Instagram at, at AirHealthRhealth. Health. Um, you can listen to the podcast, usually wherever you get your podcasts. Um, actually, please email me at airhealthrhealth at gmail.com if you can't find the podcast on your server and I'll uh, route it. I'll try to get them to put it on, but it's um, AirHealthRhealth. Um, and then there's also um, airhealth, ourhealth.org um, is a website that has all those things on it. And um, yeah, just uh, spread the word about clean air. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so
1: much again, Erica. Not at all. Bye bye. If you've been following me for a while, you'll know how much I love Legree Fitness it is a high intense low impact workout on a machine called a Megaformer. did you know that you have the opportunity to purchase a home machine called a microformer if you're interested in finding out a little bit more about the microformer head on over to legreefitness.com or if you're ready to purchase a microformer Go to shopmaximumfitness.com, and you can use my coupon code MD to save on your own home fitness machine. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wish Well podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe and follow along every week for new episodes. You can find us on Instagram at wishwell.health and at our website, wishwell.health.blog. Until next time, I wish you health and I wish you wellness.